This is Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. The unofficial podcast companion for Ray Dalio's book, Principles. This podcast will deeply explore the book and principles. The podcast is hosted by Micah Bays and John Sextro. Micah has a PhD in philosophy and has taught numerous college philosophy courses, including The Meaning of Life, Ethics, and Reason and Argument. John shares his perspective from years of experience trying to live out Ray's principles in his life and work. And you can follow us on Twitter. Micah is at Micah Bays, all one word. And I am at John Sextro, all one word. And now, this week's episode. I'm Micah Bays. And I'm John Sextro. We're back here on the Principles Podcast, a philosophical examination. And uh, we have finished up all of the introduction chapters, Micah. So we're moving on to the next like section of the book, really getting into the life principles now. That's the, the next meaty portion. So we're going to change up the way we do things a little bit. We won't be recapping the chapters anymore. We're just going to jump in and go right at it into the principles. Just in, in terms of level setting, how the principles are organized, there's a, a little bit of a preamble before you get into the first real principle that describes how they're organized and laid out. The top level principle that has the single number is considered the higher level principle. The next one down that is like 1.1, 1.2, those are considered mid-level principles. And then the 1.1a, those letters, anything the letters down there, those are the sub-principles. So we'll be using those terms, higher level, mid-level, and sub-principles as we're describing things throughout uh, the remainder of the podcast. Just wanted to level set with everybody how that's going to work. Micah, our first principle to get into, our first higher level principle, the very first one, here he goes right off the bat, is embrace reality and deal with it. Yeah, and we might even mention or just remind people, right, we're currently in life principles. Um, if you said that a few minutes ago, sorry, I missed it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, we are now in life principles, and then later on we'll get to work principles. But these are all life principles. And I think very much that the all of the life principles apply to work also. Sometimes the work principles don't apply to like general life. So you have there's a smaller set of work principles. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out too. That's just my opinion though. Yeah, so embracing reality. You should embrace the reality that all the life principles don't always apply to work <laughs> and work not to life. Anyway, just kidding. <laughs> What do we think about this one? I think, you know, um, it seems to me uh, with this one, it's all throughout the introduction, Ray talking about uh, how he's had to embrace reality over time. So it seems like this is being number one, the very first one out of the gate, seems like it's very important level sets for everything. Yeah, certainly, you know, is supposed to kind of, I guess, color how you approach life. Are you going to be someone who shies away from reality when it's not as you want it to be? Or are you going to be someone who is willing to accept and you might say look into the true nature of reality um, independent of what you want it to be? I think what's so important about this higher level principle and then and then some of the mid-level principles that we're going to get into in addition is that this really does sort of set the bar, if you will, for where you where you need to be, if you can't do this one, you probably should just stop 
stop listening to the podcast, stop reading the book because everything else I think really is founded upon and based on the fact that you're going to be able to accept reality, face reality, embrace it, and then find out what's going on and go from there. Right. I mean, I think you might make an exception or you might say, you know, you don't have to maybe embrace reality fully. I mean, you know, maybe that's your goal, uh, but maybe you're not in a spot where you can do that right away. Right. I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Can all of us really embrace reality as it is? Are we willing to do that? Um, but you know, you might say, all right, I'm going to aim at these things, but maybe I can't do them fully. And that's, you know, something I'm working on perhaps. Micah, as uh, we start to talk more about the philosophy of this, I thought it was interesting that there's a reference to um, learning things as sort of like finding gems that are lying on the ground. And it almost seemed like sort of like a video game metaphor of you're the character running, you, you discover trouble, oh, you find a gem, you pick up the gem. What did you, what did you think about that? Yeah, I thought that was uh, interesting that you know, it seems kind of like a lot, a lot of what um, is becoming more common now where we try to what's called gamify uh, things that we're doing in our lives. Um, so whether it's you think about fitness trackers, you know, like the Apple Watch, you have uh, different circles that as you perform activities during the day, right, those circles fill up. And at the end of the day, you know, you hope to have filled up all the circles and then you feel better about it. Right. This is a way of making some goal for something that you maybe don't normally want to do. Um, but you gamify it, you make some goal out of it, and then that can encourage you to go ahead and do that activity that maybe you're otherwise not all that excited about. Um, and so Ray does a similar thing with principles where, you know, Typically, it's going to be, you know, he, as he mentions, right, there's some kind of problem that he's trying to solve. And then once he solves it, he gets a principle because he figures out, okay, here's this principle for how to deal with this problem, to deal with this situation. And so then he sees that principle as a gem, right? So he's, he's gamifying principles, you might say. He talks about um, a love of wisdom. Maybe as you're picking up these gems, you're... Uh... Your, your your gamified version of your wisdom increases. Right. Yeah. You have uh, one more piece of knowledge or piece of wisdom that you didn't have before. Yeah. I get 10 more wisdom points. <laughs> yep. Added to myself. <laughs> so Micah, one of the things I think Dalio is, tries to do here is reconcile his emotions with logic. What did you, what did you see about that? Yeah, that uh, definitely brought up a lot of questions for me. Um, and this is kind of in my wheelhouse uh, as far as you know, what I studied in philosophy. Uh, in my wheelhouse, not necessarily in the sense that I can provide answers for anybody, but at least it was you know, an area that uh, I dealt with quite a bit. Um, so there's this question, right? He talks about reconciling his emotions with logic. And he wanted to, you know, he aimed to, you might say, only act or make decisions when his emotions were reconciled with logic. He, he felt like if they weren't reconciled with logic, that caused significant problems. And so for me, the question is, what do we mean by emotions being reconciled with logic? Hmm. Um, or, right, because if you say they're reconciled, I guess the alternative is that 
they are in conflict, right? So if your emotions are in conflict with logic, well, how does that happen? What does that mean for them to be in conflict? Um, does it maybe mean you're out of control or you have a lack of, a lack of self-control in the moment? I think, you know, it could be. And I think a lot of it's going to come down to what our understanding of, what our understanding is of the relationship between our emotions and what we have reason to do. Um, what's you might say worth pursuing. Um, so there's kind of two standard positions. Uh, one is, and you know, this is going to be simplified. We can't get into the nitty gritty details of everything, but you know, just in general, two standard positions. One is that reason, um, which is independent of our emotions, or at least largely is, Reason alone, you might say, can tell us what is reasonable to be pursued. Um, so it might be that as I know, as I understand what it is to be a human being, let's say, I can determine what it is, what it is I should pursue, right? And I don't have to ask or have any knowledge of what my emotions are, um, what my feelings are, what, are, what my desires are, um, anything like that. On the other hand, um, the other position is that it's precisely our emotions that tell us what we should be pursuing, what's reasonable to pursue. Um, and in particular, our desires are what tell us what is reasonable to, pr to pursue. Uh, you might put it this way. If we didn't have any desires, which you know, it's one said, set, subset of emotions, but if we didn't have any desires, there'd be no reason to pursue anything, right? It's the fact that we have desires that give us reason to act. Um, so that's the other position. Um, and so which position you take is going to affect what we mean by emotions being reconciled with logic. So do you, and does this suppose that emotions are the same as desire and desire is the same as emotions. So I don't think we'd want to say that emotions are the same as desire. Um, and this gets complicated because different people are going to give you different definitions uh, or explanations, but I think you might want to see desires as one part of our emotions um, or you might say one part of our psychology and, um, yeah, it's just one part of our emotions. The reason I ask that is because I want to correlate it to real a real-world situation that I deal have dealt with when it comes to embracing reality. Um and it, it it's 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 squarely in this wheelhouse of my emotions versus my desires. Um for example, I have four children, love the children, I like to see them do well. Um, I have children that play athletics. I love to see them do well in their athletics. I have a desire to see them do well. And I, I take steps as a result of that desire to help them improve, right? I drive them to practices and drive them to games and, and all of those things. When it comes to watching them play, sometimes I feel emotions about the game about how they're and how they're performing. Um, I, I want to have the desire for 
the kids to do well. I don't want to have the, I don't, I, I can't stop the emotion, but I want to be able to face the reality that my kid's not going to go out there every time and be like an NBA superstar. So I want to embrace that reality um, and, and not allow those emotions to cause me to be mad, sad, et cetera. And even to the point where I also try not to react, overreact to them doing well. You know, I'm just like, that's great. I'm proud of, you know, and, and not, not try to, not try to be driven by emotion. How does that fit um, from a philosophical standpoint or, or does that jive with what you're talking about, desire and emotion, as I've sort of described my real world experience? Knowing a little bit about more about me like that, Micah, what more is there to know about desires and emotions? So uh, one, I think, you know, to take that first position again, just kind of, kind of help maybe solidify these two positions a little bit, give some examples, right? So with the first position where reason, right, apart from our emotions tells us what is to be pursued, um, it could be that, right, reason tells you that, I don't know, let's say you should pursue an education. Um, well, then the question is, if I have an emotion, for it to be reconciled with logic in this case, or reconciled with reason, uh, which I would say is probably a little bit larger thing than just logic itself. Uh, but the question is, is that emotion that I have helping me to achieve what reason has told me I should do? Um, if so, then that emotion is reconciled with reason or reconciled with logic. But if reason tells me to do something and my emotions are making me not want to do it, then that emotion in that then emotion in that case is not reconciled to logic or not reconciled to reason. If, on the other hand, we take that second position and say, well, no, reason alone doesn't tell us what to do, but in fact, it's our emotions that tell us what's reasonable to do, um, then things I'd say seem maybe a little bit more complicated. Uh, so one thing, I, you know, just to mention here, so David Hume, uh, very famous philosopher uh, in the Enlightenment, Enlightenment period, um, he said that reason is and not only to be the slave of the passions. Um, passions here being roughly similar to, you know, emotions. Um, and so that's this idea that, look, it's your passions which tell you what to do. Reason only kind of helps you figure out how to get what it is that you want, right? What your passions are, what your desires are. Um, so one thing might be, well, why should we think this is the case? Um, so think about the way in which we talk about beliefs and think about the way in which we talk about emotions. So beliefs it's kind of easy to see how beliefs can be contrary to logic or contrary to reason. Um, right. Someone might say uh, about someone, his belief that the moon was made of cheese was false. Right. That makes sense. We all get that. Right. He had this belief that the moon was made of cheese. Oh, that's false. Uh, that wasn't true. But what does it mean for like an emotion to be false? Or because, you know, that's 
if we say something's contrary to logic or contrary reason, we might think it would need to be something that's false. So, for example, if I said his emotion of anger about being ridiculed was false. Kind of seems odd to say that, you know, this emotion was false. Um, and so that's why you might think that emotions can't be, can't, you might say themselves be contrary to reason or contrary to logic. Um, and that was Hume's point. Um, emotions or passions just aren't the type of thing that can be contrary to reason. Um, yeah, so they they can't be contrary to reason because you can't say that someone's emotion is false. No correct. more than you could say that their emotion is true. Right. It's not a it's not a it's not a yes or a no question. Right. It's, it's not a yes or a no answer either. Right. You know, Hume's gonna say it's just a thing that is, right? They just have this emotion. They just exist. You feel them. They're neither Yes or no. They're neither true nor false. Right. Um, now, you can have beliefs, or sorry, you can have emotions that are based on false beliefs. That doesn't make the emotion false. It just means it was based on a false belief, right? So, suppose someone told me that, you know, John spit in my cup. Well, and I get angry about it. Like, John, why did you spit in my cup? Well, let's say that's false. I hope that's false. That's false. Okay. Um I had that emotion. It was based on a false belief. The emotion wasn't false, but the belief was. Um, so, you know, emotions, yeah, can be based on false beliefs. And so then the question is, well, let's say we take this second way of viewing the relationship between emotions and reason that, hey, it's emotions which give us reason to do anything in the first place. How could emotions then be contrary to reason ever, right? Or how could emotions ever be contrary to logic? Um, like uh, Dalio is talking about here. You know, my assertion is that I have emotions. I've experienced emotions as a human being. I've experienced emotions. I've learned that I enjoy certain emotions more than other emotions, happiness over sadness, joy, you know, over sadness, etc. the same thing. And so as as I've ex learned as a human that certain emotions that I experience are better to me than others, then that motivates me it to not motive. It does motivate me, right? It motivates people to have desire or to seek out things that give us those same emotions. And, and that my, my, the act of me seeking those things out is desire. So I desire to have, to do things that will give me that, that joyful emotion, that happy emotion. Right. Yeah. So having certain emotions causes a desire, right. To have more of those emotions. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so in that case, um, let's say it is just desires that give us reason to do something. I guess if you have other emotions which are getting, you know, in the way of fulfilling those desires for those other emotions, then those motion emotions could be contrary to reason. Um, so, for example, right, let's say you have desire to have thrilling experiences. 
Um, we've talked about, you know, what jumping off a mountain before with wings. Yeah. You know, or starting a, a really big financial services company uh-huh. like Dalio did, right. Putting his, putting his money and his, his family at risk. Yep. And the idea is here, right. You have this desire for whatever emotions are going, are going to result from successfully doing that, you know, um, but you might also have a fear, right? That emotion, the emotion of fear, which is getting in the way of your desire for successful financial company or the success, successful, um, wingsuit flight. Yes. <laughs> and so in that case, fear is contrary to logic, right? On that way of understanding things. Well, I don't know. Um, because maybe it's the fear, maybe deep down inside, it's really, it, I'm really a fear junkie. Because we hear people that, like people that jump off mountains with suits on like that, they're sort of motivated by that fear. Mm-hmm. They desire that emotion because of the, the adrenaline rush. Yeah, so on the, on the one hand, you might say what they really want is the adrenaline rush. Um, and the fear is you might say just an instrumental thing, right? It's they need to have the fear in order to get what they really want, which is the adrenaline rush. So we've gone really deep on emotions, desire, all as it relates back to somehow relates back to um, embracing reality. And I think the last bit here, Micah, as, as, uh, as we've read through this is as we've discussed or, or thought about rather embracing reality this thing that Dahlia wants to do where he wants to maintain his claim that emotions are contrary to logic. How does that sit with you? What does that, what does that mean for people that are trying to digest this? Yeah. So I know we've uh, gone pretty deep here and um, maybe some people think we went a little too deep, Uh, but you know, we are just trying to think about what Ray means by, you know, saying if I can reconcile my emotions, I can make better decisions. And just to give one more example about, that kind of desire-based position. Uh, John, did you watch the World Cup in 2006 uh, with between France and uh, Italy and the famous headbutt to the chest? Uh, I'll, I'll have to embrace reality here and say no. Oh, uh, that's too bad. I did not. There was a headbutt to the chest? To the chest, yeah. So One player headbutted another player in his chest. Yes, so Zinedine oh Zidane, it was in it was in overtime of the World Cup final. Um, right, so the final game, whoever wins wins the World Cup. And Zinedine Zidane uh, was a French player, one of the best French players. And in overtime, he turns around and he headbutts an Italian player right in the chest and knocks him to the ground. And it turns out that. Apparently, the Italian player had made an insult to Zidane. Um, and so this is a scenario where we might think, you know, even if uh, what's reasonable to do is based on our desires, presumably you would think that Zidane, his biggest desire was to win the World Cup. And in this moment, his emotion got the better of him because he got upset because he got angry 
and he lost sight of what was, you might say, what he really desired. And so what happened, right? He headbutted the uh, Italian player and then he get he got ejected from the game, of course. And if his ultimate desire is to win the World Cup, that action doesn't seem like it helped, right? It hurt his chances of winning the World Cup. And so even though, again, if we take the, the uh, desire-based position, his actions were, or his emotion was contrary to reason because it um, made it more difficult for him to get what he ultimately desired. Yeah, it conflicted. I mean, it, it resulted in a behavior that conflicted with his desire. Right. And so for Hume, uh, that's one way you can understand emotions being contrary to reason even though reason itself doesn't tell us what to do. It's our emotions or our passions, our desires, which give us reason to do things. So he, he failed in that case, I think, as Dalio talks about, he failed to reconcile with his emotions, or he failed to reconcile his emotions with his desire and his, his decision to respond to that emotion, I guess, really to his desire. Isn't that what happened? Right. And so it's, you know, we can think about everyday scenarios that we have, right. Of things that we ultimately want. Um, and yet our emotions can get in the way of that. You know, fear is the easiest example. Michael, we better let all the listeners off the hook. Cause I don't remember who won the game. So everybody else maybe doesn't remember as well. And I don't want people having to Google it while they're driving or something. So what happened? Did, did what's his name? Z- Zidane. Zidane. Zinedine Zidane. Did that work out for him, his little headbutt? It did not work out for him. Yeah, he was ejected. Uh, the game ended up going to penalty kicks, right? They played in overtime, and they still were tied. I hate that. Then they went to penalty kicks, and Italy won 5-3 to three Wow! penalty kicks. Yep. All because he failed to reconcile his emotions. Well, maybe right. They very well may have lost anyways. But maybe maybe he didn't help himself. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't reconcile his emotions with his desire. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about a mid level principle that that relates to that re- that directly relates obviously to embracing reality, and it's the first one in their mid level principle one dot one is to be a hyper realist is that different than a regular realist a hyper realist i don't really know (laughs) i'm not sure what it is to be a hyper realist we're up talking so it must be we must have questions about it (laughs) yes um you know i suspect it's kind of just like hyperbole of just like this emphasis on being a realist not just a realist a really real realist really realist what does it mean to be, uh, a, I guess, a realist in this in this case, and how it and as how it relates to embracing embracing reality? Yeah, I think for Dalio, what he's wanting to say is, you know, when we have dreams, we need to be realistic about them and know whether it's something that's actually achievable or not. Um, and part of that is one knowing whether the thing that you are wanting whether that's achievable or not, but whether you might say there's a means to that goal of yours. Um, right. So uh, I have children, they love unicorns. If one of them said that when they grew up, they wanted to be a unicorn trainer, 
that would be problematic, right? Because a little bit. there aren't unicorns. As far as, as we know. As far as we know. And um, so if they were to grow up with that goal, they would never be able to satisfy that goal um, or achieve that goal. So you'd want, you want your dreams to be in accordance with reality where at least it's possible. Um, and then likewise, you know, it's, like I said, you know, what about the means for achieving your dream? Um, so let's say my goal is to win the world series. That's a real thing, right? Presumably you can do that. People have done it, but for me, right. Given my talent set, that's not achievable and my age, right. I'm well beyond, well, not well beyond them just over the hump of uh, <laughs> professional players and their prime. Uh, but, you know, there'd be a lot more training I have to do, and I don't have the skills. Anyway, Maybe as a coach, you could, you could make it. Possibly so. Okay. All right. So that, that's one thing, right? You can change what your dreams are a little bit when you realize that what reality really is. Um, so I think, you know, that's the nature of being a hyper-realist for, um, Dalio, um, you know, again, he, he emphasizes, look, I'm not saying don't have big dreams, but take reality into account when you have those dreams. Sure. Um, it, it's, it seems very commonsensical to be in here. It, it definitely fits with, with embracing of reality because, um, you, you know, it's, it's a hand in glove sort of mid-level principle with the higher level principle and, and, and just simply in the fact that you, you can't, you can't go crazy with this stuff. Like I, I can't wish to, I mean, I can wish all I want to be a unicorn trainer, but that's, that's literally can't happen. So there's no point in me having that, that desire. And if I can't have reasonable goals uh, that are within the realm of, of reality, I'm always going to be disappointed. And then all of this doesn't make any difference. I'm never going to achieve the goal. And so I'll constantly just be uh, feeling pain from my failures. So um, yeah, be, be realistic, be hyper realistic. Be, and I think, I think a little bit, I know that it's hyperbole. I think that this emphasis on being hyper realistic is to reinforce to us as people that are trying to pra practice these principles. No, really. Be realistic. Don't, don't delude yourself. You know, don't fall into traps of it's going to be better tomorrow just because, you know, you have to be hyper realistic. You have to fight through those, those sort of mental traps that we, that we run into where we're like, it'll be great tomorrow. You know, my credit card debt will be gone or it's going to be great tomorrow. You know, the bill collectors aren't going to call or you've got to be realistic about what, what you can expect again, embracing the reality of your world. Right. And, you know, to just kind of give a example from my own life, I'd say in a way in which I'm, I don't know if I can say I'm hyper-realist, um, but this idea about, you know, that your dreams or your wishes or your pursuits should be based in reality. Um, you know, when I, you know, I've mentioned before that, you know, I was, I studied to be a pastor in my undergrad and then uh, when I went to grad school, um, there was a lot of talk about evolution. Well, for those who don't know, right, there's a question in at least some Christian circles about whether uh, evolution is compatible with Christian scripture. 
right? Um, so you have Genesis and there's an account of creation in Genesis. And the question is, well, is that compatible with uh, the theory of evolution? And so uh, you get more literalist readings of Genesis that would say, no, it's not. And, you know, in my studies, I hadn't really, you know, in my studies to be a pastor, we didn't really deal with that question head on. And so I kind of thought, you know, it's probably, you know, they're probably not compatible. Um, but I didn't have a real firm stance on it. But then when I got to grad school and philosophy, the topic kept coming up. In fact, uh, at the time, Kansas University had a series of talks one semester on the topic of evolution and is related especially to evolution and culture at large. And um, they talked about you know, the religious um, implications of, of evolution. And so it kept coming up and I realized, all right, I've got to look this square in the face. I've got to actually figure out is Christian scripture um, compatible with the theory of evolution, right? There's all of this evidence for evolutionary theory. And so if they really are incompatible, it would seem very difficult to think that, well, then Christian scripture is true. Um, Because again, right, I did want my beliefs to be, you know, my religious beliefs to be based in truth. I didn't want them to think, I didn't want them to just ignore reality. Um, and so that was, you know, I'd say a moment where I, I guess, chose to be hyper-realist because then I started looking into um, whether they were compatible or not. So, but this isn't a theology podcast, so we won't go into all of that for now. <laughs> we operate the podcast on the value for value model. We are entirely listener supported. If you enjoy the podcast and find value in the information and entertainment you receive, you can donate to the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Dalio's principles and click support this podcast. There are even more ways to support the show. You can dazzle all of your friends with information learned on the show and share the show with them on social media. Also, you can review us on iTunes. It'd be awesome if you blog about it or even talked about our podcast on your very own podcast. And you can always direct your friends to our subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Dalio's principles. And now back to the show. Micah, there's a statement uh, along with this mid-level principle that says dreams plus reality plus determination equals a successful life. So Ray just puts that out there. This is sort of the, the formula. So success, a successful life, he goes on further to say that success means meeting your deep-seated needs. So what do you think about, I mean, that's sort of, uh, it's, there, there's, there's ambiguity there. What do you think he means by deep-seated? Good question, John. Like to uh, ask, <laughs> maybe you'd like to ask him, right? I would like to ask him that. Um, I do think there's some evidence for what, he does mean um, we'll come to that, but first, you know, just to help us see where that the ambiguity is. So when you say some, a need is deep seated, right? What does deep seated mean? So one, it could just be something that it's a need that you feel very strongly, right? Um, Question mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So he talked about, you know, he had that desire for the great life. Like he knew he had to go for it. 
I presume he would say that that was deep seated. Deep seated, huh? So is that what he means? Yeah. Um, or deep seated could mean something more like unchangeable, right? It's deep seated in that sense that you can't do anything. You're always going to have this need. Um, so yeah, is it something about how you feel about it? You know, very strongly, or is it unchangeable? Is that what it means to be deep seated, or something else? And and maybe it's so. Um, unchangeable. Maybe the reason it's so unchangeable is because it's so much at that base foundation of who you are that makes it unchangeable. It's the fact that it's like a, a, a fundamental part of your being. And if that changed, like who you are actually would sort of unravel and change and you would not be you. You'd be, you'd be a different, a different sort of you. Uh, now you're into uh, essentialism. I'm real or... <laughs> deep into philosophy. I've, I've gone around the bend. Yeah. Uh, so, right. What counts as our identity or what counts as you, what makes you, you, um, what things, if they were to change would make you cease to be you. Right. Um, yeah. so there's a distinction between essential properties of something and you might say accidental properties. The things that make you, you are presumably are, your essential properties, right? They're essential to you. And then your accidental properties are things that, you know, could change about you, like your haircut or something, right? And you would still be you, presumably. Right? So maybe that deep-seated need is is the one of the essential properties of me. Perhaps. Okay. Maybe that's what he means. Well, yeah. I, we'd have to ask him. Yeah. Um, so, right, there's a question about... So, yeah, we'd like... For me, I would like some clarity... Um, what does he mean by deep seated? The other is what does he mean for something to be a need? Um, right. Cause when you talk about needs, notice there's kind of a relativity here in the sense of a need for what, right? If, if I say, Hey, if I'm going to go get to work on time, I need to leave 20 minutes before work starts. Right. Um, if I'm going to get an A on a paper, I need to study. Right. Um, I need to write the paper. Those are different kinds of needs. So when he talks about a need, need for what? Right. I was thinking more of needs as like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, and again, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist or a philosopher or a psychologist. Right. But I remember that much from my education <laughs> that <laughs> right. those are like our fundamental sort of needs. Right. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's what Ray is thinking about. Um, it could be a need just for happiness. Could be a need for desire satisfaction. Um, could be a need to be, you might say, a flourishing human being. Right? Uh, we can talk about, can you imagine what it is for a dog to flourish? Do you think you can... Imagine the difference between a flourishing dog and a non-flourishing dog. I don't think I could. Um, if you saw a mangy dog, it was all like, okay, scraggly, and healthy versus not versus sick, sickly, something like that. Has a has a safe home, food, mm-hmm. uh, a owner that cares for them versus you know one that's not cared for, has no food, has no security, but mm-hmm. that. This seems to me like it's going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety, security, food. Maybe so. Um, But it could be that maybe what different types of beans there are, right? Different types of animals, right? So uh, 
dogs, what it is for a dog to flourish is presumably different than what it is for a cat to flourish, mm. perhaps. Um, and so, you know, maybe here he's talking about what it is for a human being to flourish. That's another possibility. So whatever your deep-seated needs are as a human being to live a flourishing life. Um, so, again, just raising the question, what do we mean here? Just noticing the ambiguity and wanting some clarity. Should we, uh, should we, you think you and I, for the sake of the show and the podcast and the listeners, should decide on something in terms of what is meant by a deep-seated need? How would you, how would you maybe settle on, on an area within the stratosphere of what could possibly be meant by need? Deep-seated need. Right. What do I think it counts as uh, to be a deep-seated need for a human being? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to probably put it a little bit more yeah, relative to the type of thing you are. Um, and so I think I'm going to see it as more of a kind of flourishing type of need, right? If I'm going to flourish, I'm going to be, you might say a full or a complete human being. What does that look like? Yeah. What do I need? That's, that's where I would fall. Okay. I, I, I think I accept that as a, as a, as a generalism of what is also meant by deep seated need. Okay. So we have the foundation. All right. Now for, um, for us and for the listeners. Yeah. Um, course we don't know if that's what dalio meant but at least we have that foundation true um and so i think we do have good reason to come to a conclusion uh about ray's position here um and in particular i think what he means by needs is desires so he's gonna say we have deep-seated desires uh one of the things he says when he talks about deep-seated needs he says some people I'm going to emphasize want here. He says, some people want to change the world and some people want to operate in simple harmony with it and savor life. He goes on to say, look, no one of those options is better than the other. Both are equally fine. Uh, it's just really up to you. You know, you have to figure out what you want. And so to me, that very much seems like a desire based conception of needs. Michael, what do you think are the problems with some of this desire based theory? that Dalio seems to be espousing. Yeah. So one, just, you know, point out, right. This is my bias here, right? I yeah. don't accept a desire based theory. Um, but, uh, so I'm just, but I'm going to go ahead and register what my concerns are. Um, so one is with a desire based theory, you might think, well, what's the point or what's the reason for getting what you desire? Um, for one, we've all had desires that, we wanted. And then when we got them, we thought, well, that didn't make me happy or, you know, that's not all that good. Um, now someone could reply, well, you had a misunderstanding, right? There was a false belief you had that played into what you thought you desired, right? So you were just mistaken in what you actually desired. Um, but do you think about, uh, even Ray's own claim about, the dissatisfaction that comes with achieving a goal or achieving a desire. And so Ray starts talking about, you know, a lot of it is really the struggle. That's the point. Um, but 
then it seems like you're no longer concerned on getting what you desire. Um, second concern I have, and this is probably my biggest concern, is to say that we should just focus on what our deep-seated desires are. There's no, you might say, moral consideration about, well, are my desires moral or are they immoral desires? Um, now, on a deep-seated desire kind of view about how we should pursue life or what we should pursue. If you are the type of person who desires to be moral, then presumably you know, you're going to act in a way that's moral or at least aim to do so. But that's only coincidental, right? It just is an accidental thing that, oh, I just so happen to desire to be moral. There's, you might say, not some kind of blanket claim or idea that what you should pursue in life is, you might say, at least restricted by morality, right? Like, you know, you have that, you see that really nice house of your neighbors, you know, you shouldn't kill them just to get <laughs> right. that really nice house. Right. Um, and now I should say that uh, later on, we'll see here in a few principles later, Ray will talk about the relationship between evolution and morality and how it's largely in our benefit to act in accordance with morality. Um, but even then that's just going to be circumstantial. Um, so you might say there's no inherent place for morality in this deep seated desire view of things. So that'd be my biggest concern. So we, we've kind of debated back and forth what Dalio means. What if, you know, what if he's sort of wrong about the deep seated need thing? Does that, I, I had, I had sort of put out at the front of this a little bit that, um, if you can't embrace reality, maybe you should just stop, but maybe you see it slightly differently. You know, yeah. So Ray says, you know, what we should pursue are our deep seated needs. Um, and I just thought it's worth pointing out that even if we disagree with him about, about that claim or about what counts as deep seated needs, that doesn't throw, that doesn't mean that principles as a whole should just be thrown away. Um, cause one, uh, when we talk about deep seated needs about goals, those are about the ends of life about not the end of your life as far as like when you die, but the ends of life, your goals, your, what you attain mm-hmm. through life. Yeah. Um, you might say those are about the intrinsic goods. Um, and most of the principles are really about, you might say instrumental goods or instrumental means they're about ways to achieve the goals that you have. So Ray might be wrong about what the goals in life are or should be, but he could very much be right about how to achieve the, whatever the correct goals turn out to be. Right. And much of his principles is about that, right. About achieving your goals. And so, you know, don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater as they say. Yeah. They're still good here. There's still something that could be learned or you can benefit from by using the principles, even if you, you disagree with deep-seated need, desire-based, emotion-based, all of those things, right? There's still, there's, it could be that these are still helpful guidance about how to live right? and using the life principles. Yep. So we've only covered a few of them. We started with uh, the higher-level principle about embracing reality, being a hyper-realist as the, the first mid-level principle. 
um, that's as far as we got, right? So we've got more, a lot more work to do here on embracing reality. We'll be back next time to continue talking about the mid-level principles. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the conversation going on our subreddit, Dalio's Principles at reddit.com. The subreddit is Dalio's Principles, all one word. Join us to interact with a community of like-minded individuals.